Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of dry bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord said to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. January 2nd, earlier this year, um, during Monday Night Football, many of us collectively held our breath together when one of Buffalo Bill's um, safeties, Damar Hamlin, took a hit to the chest and then stood up, but then fell back onto the ground, motionless. His team crowded around him as uh, medical personnel rushed in and began to administer CPR. It took about 19 minutes uh, for an ambulance to get there and to, to get him off the field. And it had to feel like an absolute eternity to them. Um, what we know now is that his heart stopped, um, not once, but, but twice that night. And as they took him away, um, as they took him away, his teammates knelt down on the ground and they embraced one another and they began to pray. 
Even one of the NFL live sportscasters felt compelled to join in this prayer live on the air. He just said it out loud. He said, maybe this is not the right thing to do, but it's just on my heart that I want to pray for DeMar Hamlin right now. I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head. I'm just going to pray for him. And he did. And soon, most everyone who heard about this tragedy was joining in this united prayer, this prayer that, that DeMar would be revived, that he would be restored back to life, that he would become strong and healthy once again. If you watched the Super Bowl, then you might have gotten to witness this beautiful moment when um, first they brought out all the medical personnel who care for him, and then DeMar Hamlin himself came out on the field in celebration. But on that night of January 2nd, I think many of us, if we get honest, we had to wonder, right? We had to wonder if that celebration would even be possible. We had to wonder if DeMar would really be able to come back from this horrific event. We had to wonder if him being revived was something to even hope for, or if that was just too far-fetched. In the passage that we read earlier from Ezekiel, the people of Israel had come to a point in their life together where they were having to wonder, (laughs) where they were having to to wonder if it was just completely foolish for them to believe that revival was possible for them. They were dry and empty and as good as dead. What was remaining of their, their capital city, Jerusalem, had just been destroyed by Babylon. All that was once good now laid in ruins. Um, Their land was destroyed. Their temple was destroyed where God's presence had dwelt with them. Um, Their monarchy was dismantled, which had been a sign of God's promise. And then all, all of their people, their lives were in shambles. They were languishing as many of them had been carried off in exile far, far away from their homeland. There was this void that was there. But in the midst of this dry, empty, good-as-dead moment, God gave the prophet Ezekiel a vision. Let's hear it again. He said, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Now, what Ezekiel sees in this vision, what we need to know is that it would not have been unheard of in his day and time. It wasn't unusual for conquering armies to um, leave the people that they had slain right there where they lay on the battlefield as a final disgrace. In fact, it's possible, we don't know this for sure, but it's even possible that Babylon did this in Jerusalem But these bones that Ezekiel saw, they represented more than the lives of all the young men that had been lost in battle. No, these dry bones, they represented all that Israel had lost along with them. Their identity, their freedom, and perhaps most of all, their hope. Where there had once been this strong sense of God's presence and God's guidance in their life, now there was just all of these empty questions. The people of Israel were reflected in this poignant picture of these dry, dusty, as good as dead bones. The symbolism, it would not have been lost um, on the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, But as he's standing there looking at these bones, God asked him uh, a question 
a, a question that I want you all to hear and to just like let echo in your lives today. The question was this, son of man, can these dry bones live? Hear that again. Son of man, can these dry bones live? I want you to put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes for just a moment, okay? Um, how would you answer that question, okay? Put yourself there in the valley. You're looking out and all you see is bones all around you. All you see around you is death and destruction and decay no matter where you look. It would seem pretty hopeless, wouldn't it? <laughs> but Ezekiel, as he responds to God... Um, he gives an interesting question. This is what he says. He says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And no one that, that reflects on this passage really knows exactly what he meant by that. Different commentators have different things that they say. You know, they said it would be nice if we could like see his face and his body language and hear the inflection in his voice. So I'm going to have to just give you all my best guess of what he meant in that moment. I think as he says this, Sovereign Lord, you alone know, which sounds very pious and polite, right? That, that in this moment, what Ezekiel's doing is hedging his bets a little bit, right? He's kind of saying to God, like, I don't really think so, but you are God. So I'm just going to give you this vague kind of answer just in case I'm wrong here. He wasn't very direct, but God doesn't press Ezekiel for a more direct answer to his question. Instead, he asks him to do something for him. He invites him to participate. He gives him a task in this moment. He asks Ezekiel to do something that might sound pretty ridiculous, okay? He asks him to prophesy, to speak to these dry bones. He, in other words, asks Ezekiel to speak God's limitless possibilities over them. Just as God um, spoke over the void that there was before he created all that came into existence, now what God is doing is asking Ezekiel to speak over this void and, and to be a part of him bringing new life to these dry bones. And as Ezekiel does this, as he speaks God's limitless possibilities over them, suddenly there's this noise. And I have to think, like, as this happening, like, the ground had to shake too, because this, this is remarkable what plays out, right? Like all of a sudden, as he's prophesying, these bones start coming back together and skeletons are formed first. And then after the skeletons are formed, then there starts to be sinews and then there's flesh and then eventually skin completely covers it until finally there are fully formed bodies that are standing right before the eyes of Ezekiel. Amazing, right? But there was a problem. The problem was that there was no breath in these bodies. To live again, they were going to need the spirit of God, the breath of God to come and to fill the void within them. And so God has Ezekiel speak God's limitless possibilities over these bodies once again. He calls for the four winds. And what we, we need to know there, that, that word for wind um, in Hebrew, it's the same word for breath. It's the same word for word as spirit. So there's a play on words going here. He calls for the four winds. He calls for God's breath. He calls for God's spirit to come and to fill languishing Israel. And as the breath rushes into the void of their bodies, the bodies rise up and they, they form this vast multitude, this vast army with this new breath that has been breathed into them. 
And as Ezekiel is taking this scene in, God gives him a message, a message for his dry and empty and as good as dead people. And this is what that promise was. It says, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bring you up from the grave of exile. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then he says this, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. It would take some time, but God kept his promise. The people of Israel would be revived. Eventually, some of them were able to come back from exile and to begin rebuilding their lives and their homeland, to rebuild the temple again. But ultimately, God would fulfill this as he sent Jesus, as he sent Jesus to restore the nation of Israel and bring his spirit to us all. But instead of being dry and dusty and as good as dead, God breathed life back into his people. Can these dry bones live? Even when we are low on hope, the limitless possibilities of God say, yes, yes, they can. Of course, this isn't the only time in history in which God's people have longed to be revived. Um, I want you to, to imagine something with me. Let me let, set the scene. I want you to imagine a time in which there has been so much division and so much infighting within the church that a lot of people have just lost interest. You know, uh, they look at the church and they say, well, that looks a whole lot of like the world. Why in the world would I want to have anything to do with it? I'm not sure I want to be a part of what's going on. Imagine a time when scientific information and reason have advanced to such a point that it's difficult to kind of reconcile all we're learning with God um, and, and faith and the Bible. Imagine a time when poverty and injustice are so blatant that one has to wonder at times if, if there is a God, if he created our world, if he just, you know, created it and then stepped back and washed his hands of it, leaving us to fend for ourselves. Now, you might be thinking, Laura, I don't really have to imagine this because what you're describing is like now, today, in 2023, right? Um, and in a way, I am. Um, in 2020, um, numbers came out that told us that for the first time ever in the United States, that church membership was below 50% of the people. We're hearing that young people are leaving the church in, in great numbers. Uh, one study found that 66% of Americans aged 23 to 30 have stopped attending church on a regular basis, at least for some ex extended period, because, and I quote, they find the church to be divisive, judgmental, or hypocritical. Furthermore, I think it's fair to say, and, and, and be, I'll be putting it mildly uh, to point out that the church and the science and science continue to have like a complicated relationship, you know, um, in which at times the, the church um, can look at science and kind of see it as an enemy, as a threat that is to, to be rejected rather than seeing it as a, a, a conversation that to be explored that might just enrich our faith. And then in addition to that, you know, we, we don't have to look very far to see that the poor are still very much among us and that injustice and, and discrimination and prejudice continue to persist in our midst. And so it's not surprising that there's a lot of people that look around at what's happening around them and say, like, is God really present? And if he is, is he all that good? So yes, I could have been asking you to imagine today, now, in the present. 
But in all actuality, what I was describing was the environment in which the Methodist movement that we stand a part of was born way back in the 1700s. I've got a historian in the room. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a quick history best. So forgive me for how, how truncated this is. But for 200 years before this, there had been absolute religious turmoil in England. Okay. Um, in fact, I would describe it as if they were playing this epic game of church hokey pokey. All right. Hang with me here. See if you can follow. All right. So like they're Catholic, right? As a nation at first. And then there's some stuff Beth can talk to you about it that happens. And they decide we're going to form our whole new church, right? We're going to make the Church of England. And then, oh, they're a Catholic again. Oh, they're Church of England again. And but as they become Church of England again, there's some people that are part of it that are called Puritans who say, you're still too Catholic. And so they like turn it all around. There's like a civil war. They fight and they throw out the king and then they bring the king back. And I could just like keep going so on and so forth. Is that fairly accurate? Thank you. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, and so can you imagine waking up every day and having to ask yourself, like, um, am I supposed to be Catholic or Church of England today? Catholic or Church of England today? With there perhaps being repercussions for answering that, that question wrong. And so is it any wonder why all these people up here at the top are fighting about this, that the ordinary people begin to lose some interest, right? That the ordinary folks kind of say, peace out. Y'all have fun figuring this out. We don't need this drama in our lives. On top of that, the enlightenment is in full swing with its emphasis on intellectualism and, and science, which raised some questions about, about long-held religious beliefs and traditions that people were having to wrestle with. And then all the while, the sick and the poor and the marginalized and disenfranchised and the imprisoned, they're not really welcome inside the church walls all that much. And as they're out there on their own, they're struggling to see how in the world there could be any hope for them. This is a setting that, that John Wesley was a part of, the founder of our Methodist movement. And as he looked upon what was happening, he began to long. He began to long not to... Continue the game of hokey pokey, all right? What he longed to do was to revive the Church of England. He looked out and, and he saw how dry and dusty and as good as dead God's people had become. And so guess what he did? Much like Ezekiel, he sensed this call to prophesy over the dry bones, to begin to speak God's limitless possibilities over them. He rode something like 250,000 miles on horseback. That's a lot, right? I mean, I'm not a horseback rider. It seems like a lot to me <laughs> over his lifetime from place to place. And when he would go out um, to preach, he didn't come into walls like this most of the time. Guess what he did? He went out in the open air so that absolutely everyone was welcome to come and to listen and to hear about a God who is loving and generous, whose grace is always pursuing them, whose grace saves us to the uttermost, whose grace transform us, transforms us more and more into the people that we were always intended to be. In the midst of the enlightenment, he encouraged people not to check their brains at the door. He encouraged them to have a faith that united their hearts and their heads, bringing reason into their understanding of scripture and faith. And to the poor, Wesley not only proclaimed the good news to him, but he and the people called Methodists that were a part of this movement, they actually became good news to them. 
They did things like um, offer education for uh, the children of minors and, and for, for uh, um, other children, any adults, honestly, that, that wanted um, to, to, to gain education that didn't have access before. They visited the prison. They offered basic medical care to people who needed it. They began to make what we might call today like microloans to help people like get started in their business or get back on their feet and so on and so forth. In essence, the question that came to Wesley was the same question that came to Ezekiel. You know, can these dry bones live? And God's limitless possibilities were proclaimed with both words and actions throughout this land through the people called Methodists. And God showed up and he did what he always does. He breathed new life into his people. He revived them. So much so that after all these years, here we are, still a part of that movement that happened way back then. Now, as we live in a time that's not so unlike that time back then, as we saw earlier, right? I think the question that comes to us is not, can these dry bones live? Because I think that God has shown us over and over and over and over again that they indeed can. I think the question that comes to us is, will we join in, will we participate in his reviving work in the world? Will we answer his call to prophesy like Ezekiel and John Wesley and so many other people across time who have taken this leap of faith when things seem dry and dusty and as good as dead to proclaim God's limitless possibilities over people who desperately needed them? Will we show up for the religiously disillusioned and hurting and exasperated and create a community of hospitality where they can come in and not just hear, but experience that healing is possible, that God is chasing after all of us with his grace, no exceptions? Will we show up for the questioning and the doubting and create a, a community of growth where they can come in and know that it's okay to bring their confusion not only to God, but to us, that they can wrestle with, what, with their beliefs in the midst of a community who, who love them right where they are? Will we show up for the poor and powerless and create a community of selfless action in which the, the poor and powerless cannot just hear but experience God's desire to set all things right here on earth through his people? Will we not just pray for revival, but will we become the people through which revival comes about here and now in this time? We all have a part to play. We are all called to prophesy in our own way. It doesn't mean you have to stand up here like I am today and preach to people. It means, you know, prophesying can look like, um, can look like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It can look like uh, being in a small group. It can look like um, an action that's done without speaking a single word. But we are all called to prophesy in our own way. And so where are the dry and dusty and as good as dead places that you see? And how is God inviting you to speak his limitless possibilities into those voids? How is he inviting you to join him in breathing new life into them? Can these dry bones live? Even when we're low on hope, the limitless possibilities of God say yes. Yes, they can. 
Hope was certainly low when Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. Hope was low as he lay in the cold, um, dark tomb, dead. But each time we come to this table, we remember how God breathed life back into him through his spirit. We remember that he is alive and that he meets with us here and that he promises us to fill us with that same new life through his spirit. Remember that on the night he gave himself up for us, he took the bread and he gave thanks to the father. And then he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. And he once again gave thanks to the father. And then he gave it to his disciples saying, take, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink from it, do this in remembrance of me. As those who are assisting this morning come forward at this time, would you pray with me, please? Lord God, pour out your Holy Spirit. Pour out your breath. Send your wind on us who are gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until that day when Christ returns in final victory and we feast together at his heavenly banquet. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.